Good morning for service. You're awake. I love it. Hey, if you have a Bible, you can open up to Acts chapter 12. If you're new with us, welcome. We're so glad you're here. We're in a series in the book of Acts. If you don't know where that is, your Bible is divided into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the New Testament, it begins with Matthew. Then you got Mark, Luke, John, and then... And Acts is a historical book uh, that is a narrative of the early church that we are studying. So Acts chapter 12 is where we're going to be. And again, if you're new, we are so glad that you are with us. Aren't we, church? Absolutely. Uh, A couple announcements before we get into the word today. First off, I want to give a major shout out to Kathy, Sherry, and the VBS team For an incredible week. Can we just give them a round of applause? It was beautiful chaos this week at Calvary Vista. Uh, I don't know how they cleaned up so quick. It was absolutely extraordinary. But big shout out to every one of you that volunteered, to Kathy and Sherry. It was amazing. Also, as Pastor Rob mentioned, him and Denise are speaking at a conference this weekend. So we want to lift them up in prayer. But we'll do that in just a moment. Before we do, let's read our text. We'll pray, and they get into it. Does that sound good? Are you with me? Acts chapter 12. Pastor Rob gave me a strange couple verses, actually four verses. We're going to cover Acts chapter 12, beginning in verse 20, about a guy named Herod. Okay, the title of the message this morning is Dethroning Herod, and we're going to see that in just a moment. Acts chapter 12, beginning in verse 20. If you're there, say, I'm there. Okay, let's read God's word together. This is God's word, and it says, Now, Herod has been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord. Having made Blastus, the king's personal aide, their friend, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God and he was eaten by worms and died. Whoa, welcome to church this Sunday morning. And then we get this little tagline, but the word of God grew and multiplied. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you and we do exalt your name. Jesus, the reason why we are here in this building this morning is to worship you and to adore you. We ask, Lord, that you would be seated on the throne of our hearts. That you would be the guests of honor in this place. Father, we pray that you would be lifted high. And I want to pray for anybody in this room that may be new or visiting. God, I ask that you would reveal yourself to them through your word. And as we consider the life and story of Herod, Lord, would you give us a sense of conviction, a sense of honest self-examination? Lord, we desire that you would be the king of our hearts. And I pray as we leave here today that we would be persuaded to allow you to remain seated on the throne of our hearts. Father, I pray if there's anyone in this room that does not know you personally, that today would be the day of salvation for them. The day that they behold you, that they see you, that they encounter you. Because we believe that you're living and alive and love them. And desire to draw them in by your spirit. So Lord, would you do so? And in Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. 
Yesterday, my wife and I celebrated six years of marriage. Six years of marriage. You don't got to applaud us yet. We got to get into like decades before the applause come. Um, a couple days before, Pastor Rob and Denise, they celebrated 37 years of marriage. So there's where your applause should go to. Uh, but one thing that I have learned in six years of marriage is this. Are you ready? I am so selfish. I am so selfish. I struggle with this thing called pride. I'm a selfish person. In fact, I, I, I don't mean to shock you this morning, but my marriage is not perfect. We fight sometimes. We argue sometimes. And guess what? I've talked enough with Pastor Rob and Denise to know that even after 37 years, they argue and fight sometimes too. We're not perfect people is the point that I'm trying to get across. But what I've learned about myself is that I can be incredibly selfish. And I know this because in little disagreements that my wife and I have, I find myself going on defense. I find myself trying to justify my actions, my wants, and my needs with little to no concern for her. Now, that's kind of embarrassing to say out loud, but it's just the honest truth. I'm selfish. I have a heart problem. And as I was studying over Acts chapter 12, the thing that popped out to me is that selfishness is the primary characteristic of the main character of Acts chapter 12. His name is is Herod. Now, we've been studying, this is our second week here in Acts chapter 12. We've talked about James, his death. We talked about Peter's imprisonment. But the main characters of Acts chapter 12 is Herod. It begins with Herod and it ends with Herod. It's really Herod versus God. At the beginning of the chapter, we find Herod Agrippa I sitting on the throne in Jerusalem as a Roman king. And by the end of the chapter, we find him dying Death by worms as he's sitting on that throne. But this is the thing. As I read the scriptures, I am compelled to believe that there is a Herod in every one of our hearts. That there's a selfishness in every one of our hearts. It's not just me. Sigmund Freud referred referred to it as the ego. The Bible refers to it as the part of man. And as we consider... This morning, that the church is a hospital for sinners, right? What we're going to do in church this morning is we're going to enter into the OR. We're going to the operating room. And every one of us are on the table. We're going in for heart surgery. Not because you have a clogged artery. Not because there's some major issue. Not because a valve needs to be replaced. We are going into the OR this morning here in church because the church is a hospital. And the reality is, is that there is a little Herod in every one of our hearts that needs to be taken out. So we're going to go into the OR to find him and to dethrone him. As a guide to dethroning the Herod of our hearts, we are going to consider three things this morning. They'll be on the screen. Number one, we are going to consider Herod's desires. Number two, Herod's decision. And number three, Herod's defeat. Let's begin with number one, Herod's desires. Herod's desires and the desires of the prideful heart includes this. The desire for man's approval. We have in us a desire for the approval and the applause of other people. And we find this all the way at the beginning of the chapter in verse 1. It'll be up on the screen. Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, we read this. 
Now, about that time, Herod the king, this is Herod Agrippa I, stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it, because it, because it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now, it was during the days of unleavened bread. Now, you got to understand, Herod was a Roman ruler of a Jewish city. His main responsibility was to maintain peace within the people. And since the Jewish people opposed the way, they opposed the church, they opposed Jesus of Nazareth, so too would Herod. He would oppose the church and begin to persecute the church to please the Jewish people. To please the world and to be at hostility toward God was not a problem for Herod. Herod cared more about pleasing the Jews to maintain his sense of power and control. To displease the Jews would put his kingdom at risk. It means that he wouldn't be doing his job, his position, his rulership would be on the line if they were not happy. This moment already, I want you to pause and enter into the story as we're sitting here on the operating room. The first thing I want us to cut open and to consider is how we are prone to please other people. Often, we please other people when our kingdom is at risk. I remember when I was a teenager that I would often please my parents because my kingdom was all about surfing. And if I please my parents and I clean up after myself and I'm a nice boy and I'm being polite, I'm being respectful, then chances are they would let me go surf. So me pleasing them wasn't actually out of love for them. It was out of love for self to protect my kingdom because the only way between me and my kingdom of surfing was them. So I'd please them in order to get what I wanted. I see my little kids doing this to me all the time. They know that there's a treat in the pantry or there's ice cream in the freezer. So all of a sudden they're being really nice and cuddly toward daddy. They're pleasing me. Why? Because they want something. Now we might laugh and think this is just kids that do this, but as adults, we do this all the time. See, this is the typical thing with the pleaser. We please someone because we Do not like conflict or discomfort. We like to protect our kingdom of comfort and conflict will attack that kingdom of comfort. So we'll do anything that in our power to please other people so that we can stay comfortable. But this is the thing. We please other people and then we find out that oftentimes people are really hard to Please. So what do we do? We become resentful and we get angry. But then we're in the spiral of pleasing other people because it's uncomfortably angry. So we keep pleasing and pleasing and we find ourselves in this trap. You know, you're this person. If you've said this before to your spouse, it's impossible to please you. Or to your to your boss. I just can't please him. I can't please her to your coworker. I just can't do it. You're a people pleaser then. You're trying to please them. If you find yourself so frustrated because you can't please them, it's because you're trying to please them. And we try so hard to please other people because we want something from them. We try so hard to please our spouse so that we can do what we want. When we ask, can I go surfing, honey? Remember, I've been pleasing you all week. Right? 
We try it so hard to please our kids because we want even their validation sometimes. Or we want image control. We don't want them to, to, to throw a fit in the restaurant. So we give them the iPad to please them. Why? Because we don't want our kingdom of image to be attacked. We try hard to please our boss in an effort to protect our salary and our jobs. Oh, this desire for man's approval, it lives within every one of us. Other times we please others because we don't want to risk the feeling of feeling unimportant, unwanted, or overlooked. We don't like that feeling. So we're constantly pleasing other people, trying to find that validation in them. We want to build our kingdom on the pleasure and praises of other people. It happens all the time. So remember, we're, we're in a hospital this morning. We're on the OR table. We're looking for the herod in our hearts. We're first looking for the symptom of the desire for man's approval. And as we peel back that symptom to find the cause, Tim Keller gives us great insight. He says this, it'll be on the screen. It's very hard to get through a whole day without feeling snubbed or ignored or feeling stupid or getting down on ourselves. This is because there is something wrong with my ego. There's something wrong with my identity. There is something wrong with my sense of self. It is never happy. It's always drawing attention to itself. There's a problem underneath the symptom. And the problem is, is that we have a problem with our identity. There is an emptiness within myself. We try to have positive self-esteem, but when we look in the mirror, when we're really honest, there's not much looking back at us. There's an emptiness within. It's what Solomon referred to as the vanity of life. There's this emptiness within every single one of us. And oftentimes, because we know there's this emptiness, we don't have much sense of self. We try to find it through the approval of others, looking to them to fill the hollowness of our own souls. So there's a constant need of validation in our marriage, in our parenting, at the workplace, or in your appearance. It's a constant grab for some sense of feeling good about yourself, trying to find this sense of identity because there's actually, if you're really honest, there's an emptiness and a vanity to every one of us. This desire is no stranger to scripture. An entire church in the first century seemed to be dealing with the des- this desire. It's what the apostle uh, named Paul said this to a church in Galatia. He says in Galatians chapter 1 verse 10, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Really, this comes down to a question. Who are you trying to please? Other people or are you trying to please God? Regarding the desire for approval, the pastor John Piper said this, if you're seeking the praise of men, you are on a collision course with God. Wow. Just straight up. You're on a collision course with God. To feed on the approval and applause of others is like eating too much junk food. The more we eat of it, the worse we feel. Why is that? Because we weren't designed to live that way anyways. We were not designed to live off the approval of man or try to find our identity from other people. Instead, we were designed to live within the identity given to us in Jesus. That's how we were designed to live. We weren't designed for our own ego or our own 
identity to be so empty in vain. We weren't. It's a consequence of sin. We'll talk a bit about later. We were designed for God. But more on that later. We're on the operating room table. We're trying to find the little Herod in our hearts, selfishness within our hearts. The first symptom we're looking at is the desire for man's approval. And as we peel back that symptom, what we see is really just the desire to feel good about ourselves. But what we see is just an emptiness to us. That if we're really honest, we would all acknowledge it's there. There's a vanity. But another desire that we see as we look for this little Herod is the desire for power. Okay, and we see this in Herod's life as we enter into verse 20. It says, Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord. And having made Blastus the king's personal aid, their friend, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. Now, we don't know why Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but these areas depended on Herod for food. Herod enjoyed feeling powerful over these people. He literally was the one who determined their life or death, whether their stomachs were going to be full or empty, and he was intoxicated with this power. Now, this is the thing with the desire for power. The desire for power is like a clogged artery within our hearts, preventing the life of Jesus to flow through our veins. The desire for power is dangerous. Don't you remember Spider-Man? Like, come on, Uncle Ben told Peter Parker, with great power comes great responsibility. But this is the problem. The problem is that oftentimes we misuse and abuse our our power more like Herod does. According to Jesus, the point of power is that power is to be stewarded and directed to blessing others. But we live in this cultural moment today where power, influence, and fame is gained to bless ourselves. And it's celebrated. Like, build your kingdom. Build your platform, make more money, and run over anybody that's in your way. That's the ethos of today. And it creeps into the church, it creeps into our hearts all the time, where we steward power a lot more like Herod than Jesus. But as we peel back this desire for power that's in our hearts, I believe what we actually see is this strong desire for security. Follow with me that for a second. Like Herod liked the power in pleasing other people because he liked the security of his kingdom. How do we try to gain power? Through money. For what? Security. We try to gain influence for a sense of security. We try to gain, I don't know, even physical strength and power. For what? A sense of security. Like literally all of the kingdoms, like think about it, like kingdoms with walls and cities around them, the reason why they gained power was to create a sense of security within the kingdom. We do the same thing all the time. At the heart, we just want to feel the sense of security because the reality is is, is we know that this life is inconsistent and unstable. So we try to use power to get this sense of security all the time. If we gain enough influence or, 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 or 
If we gain enough influence over people, then our relationships are secure. If we gain enough power in the workplace, then our jobs are secure. If we gain enough social influence, then our image is secure. At least that's what we think. So the desire for approval is really a grasp to fill the empty and hollowness of our souls. It's an attempt to find our identity. Meanwhile, the desire for power, whether that power comes through money, influence, intellect, or force, it's really an attempt to find security because inwardly we know that life is inconsistent and unstable. But these desires that are symptoms of the little herod in our hearts These desires always lead us to a decision, a decision that's much like number two, Herod's decision. That decision is this. Will we live for our kingdom or God's kingdom? Will we exalt ourselves or will we do what we just sang a moment ago and exalt Jesus? Will we try to self-promote Self-preserve? Or are we going to give ourselves to others? That's the decision it comes down to. How are we going to live? Because the reality is, is that we can resist the temptation for applause, popularity, and power. Or we can give in to it like Herod did. It's plain, Herod's decision in verses 21 to 22. Read with me. In verse 21, we read, So on a set day... Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not a man. Imagine the scene for a moment. The person who has power to determine whether or not you will starve shows up wearing a royal robe who the historian Josephus said was made out of pure silver. Pure silver threads. He shows up. He begins to give this grand speech and ends with receiving all the glory instead of giving it to God. Herod's decision was evident. He was living for himself. He was obsessed with self-exaltation. Self-exaltation. See, the symptoms of a self-obsessed person are evident in Herod's life. Self-exaltation makes you the hero of the story. Everything revolves around you, doesn't it feel so good? The workplace, the family, the marriage, kids, the hobbies, everything's around you. That is the self-obsessed person, Herod, for sure. Decisions are made for self-improvement, self-advancement, and self-preservation. If it doesn't benefit you, then why do it? If you're not going to scratch my back in return, why would I ever scratch your back? Yet this, again, is the ethos of today, perfectly acceptable, even in the church. If you're not going to bring a meal over to my house, why should I bring a meal over to your house? I don't know. These things happen all the time, little decisions made. That we only make the decisions when it has to benefit us. This is the case for Herod. This is Herod's MO throughout the entirety of the chapter. It was clear that everything revolved around him and anything that threatened his kingdom would be attacked. Unfortunately for Herod, he didn't take the words of Jesus of Nazareth seriously when Jesus said in Matthew 23, 12, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. What an interesting statement. According to Jesus, to live for the kingdom of self, you're actually going to end up losing yourself. 
But to lose yourself, according to Jesus, means that you'll actually end up living in the kingdom. The story of Herod is a living parable of that verse. Herod tries to exalt himself only to be eaten by worms at the end of the story. The problem is that as followers of Jesus, consistently we find ourselves following Herod's example rather than the example of Jesus. Every day we make little decisions with little to no regard of how our our actions will affect others. Let alone, we make so many little decisions where we don't actually really consider what God's desire would be in the situation. A few years ago, the Lord brought me to a place of deep conviction. I had recently witnessed a friend who, in my eyes, he'd reached like ministry success. I'd shared stages with him. There's parts of his ministry that I admired. And I watched, as so many of us have watched, him as a leader fall. As a Christian leader, I saw him fall. And it was really sad. It was disheartening. The same time, I was reading a book called The Pastor by Eugene Peterson, who pastored a church of like 60 people in, um, where was it? Over by Baltimore. Baltimore's in Maryland, right? In Maryland. And, but he wrote 35 books that were incredible. And I'm reading The Pastor. I'm like, wow, this whole way that he's speaking about being a pastor is like so contradictory to how I was kind of viewing the pastorate. And, And as I was doing some self-examination, I realized that I was spending a lot more time focusing on being a better preacher than I was on loving people. Like, this is just my story. I just realized that I was spending a lot more time being a better preacher because in some ways it actually kind of exalted myself, even if that sounds so gross to say, it's the reality of it. But loving people, I mean... That builds the kingdom of God. The Lord began to do this thing in my heart where I was realizing just the temptation, the draw. It happens all the time where we have this temptation to build our kingdom instead of God's kingdom. A.W. Tozer, speaking of this kingdom of self, has a powerful quote in the pursuit of God. He says this, to be specific, the self sins are these, self-righteousness, self-pity, self-confidence, self-sufficiency, self-admiration, self-love, and a host of other things like them. They dwell too deep within us and are too much a part of our natures to come to our own attention until the light of God is focused upon them. That is the entire point of this morning's message. We are in the operating room to find the little Herod in our hearts to allow the word of God to be the discerner of our thoughts and intentions to cast light upon the selfishness that lives in every one of us. And if you don't think it lives within of you, in you, then you're blinded to it because the reality is we will carry selfishness, aka what the Bible refers to as the flesh. We will carry with that with us until we step into glory. It's in our hearts. We're not sinless yet. The selfishness is there. And we're in need of the grace of God to illuminate the selfish crevices of our soul. Now, these little decisions to live for oneself is no small matter. The Apostle Paul, inspired by God, wrote to the church in Rome this. In Romans chapter 1, verse 21, he said, Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. 
It was Herod's decision not to give glory that led to his defeat. All of his success and achievements, he received the glory rather than gave the glory back to God. Now notice, it's not success that was the problem. If you're successful, that's great. The heart of the problem is that he loved his success and did not attribute his success to the glory of God. He did not glorify God, nor was thankful to him. And according to the Apostle Paul, if you're familiar with Romans chapter 1, it's all about the depravity, the sinful nature of man. And according to him, inspired by God, the gateway to a depraved, sinful, dark and foolish life. The gateway to that, the entrance, is ingratitude and failure to give God glory. With that, question for you. As we're here in the operating room, maybe the way we find the Herod in our hearts is by asking ourselves this question. When was the last time I gave God glory and thanks for my family, my career, for my health, for my life, for the breath in my lungs? When was the last time I gave God glory for my gifts, my talents, my money or opportunities? Do I view myself as a self-made man or a person who's graced by the providence of God? Are you a self-made person? Have you given God glory that he actually providentially has been there the entire time directing your life? He deserves all the glory, honor, and praise. When was the last time you, when was the last time I gave God public glory for these things in my life? I think as we answer those questions, honestly, we can find the little Herods within our heart. Or maybe there's moments where we give God thanks, but when all is said is done, we rather keep glory for ourselves. We're like, oh, thank you, God. Thank you, God. It's the whole thing where God is kind of like the the mother-in-law suite in the house, but he's definitely not the foundation. We're like, thank you, God. We love you. Great. But this is my kingdom still. To that extent, Eugene Peterson himself said this. The kingdom of self is heavily defended territory. Post-Eden, Adam and Eve are willing to pay their respects to God, but they don't want him invading their turf. Maybe that's you. Come to church. You serve every once in a while. We pay our respects to God. But we don't actually want him to have all of our hearts and our lives. There's a problem there. The reason is because that Herod has control of our hearts. That little Herod, that selfish ego, that selfish pride is there. This is exactly what we see in Herod's life. And this decision to live for oneself, the decision to keep God's glory rather than give him glory, the Bible calls this the pride of man. And pride comes with an important warning that we see in the life of Herod and all throughout the scriptures. It's this, you know the verse, Proverbs sixteen eighteen: Pride goes before destruction. And a haughty spirit before a fall. It's exactly what we see in Herod's life. Number three, Herod's defeat. Read with me again, verse 22. The people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not a man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God grew and multiplied. (laughs) I love it. At the beginning of the chapter, we find Herod striking down the Apostle James. By the end of the chapter, God strikes down Herod. The lesson is quite clear. Jesus always wins. The kingdom of God always defeats the kingdom of self. Always. Always. 
There's no debate about it. Look at world history. The church is still thriving. Through every political power, influence, kingdom of man, the church is alive and well today. We've got our problems for sure, but it's alive and well. The kingdom of God always defeats the kingdom of self, or we could say the kingdom of man. The reality is that this chapter would be a comforting reality for the early church in times of persecution. When political forces start putting pressure on the church, when we hear rumors of of war and actual wars, when we see the upheaval of our own country, today when we hear of the threat of Russia or the threat of China and their desire for world power, this chapter comes as a comforting reality that the kingdom of man will never win. Praise God. The kingdom of God always prevails. Jesus promised to build his church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Hurrah. Right? Huzzah. That was it at VBS. Huzzah. Um, But this is the thing. The reality that the kingdom of God always wins also means that the kingdom of God will win over those political kingdoms, but also the kingdom of self that's within. And that's what we've been looking at this morning as we still sit here on the operating table in the operating room. This chapter exalts and and magnifies the kingship of Jesus, the sovereign power of Jesus, that the most powerful man in the world is no threat to Jesus. He is greater. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. It's a promise. He's coming again. He'll come in power. We hooray. We huzzah at that. But at the point of this message, I hope that you've identified that there's a Herod. There's a kingdom of self in your own soul that you will not win. As we've sat in the operating room, my prayer is that the word of God has exposed the intentions of our hearts and of that we've found the Herod there within. I hope that you are persuaded that you cannot live in this manner any longer. That King Jesus will defeat the Herod in your heart. He will defeat your kingdom of self. This is the thing. If we ended this message right here, which I almost thought we would, I'd be leaving you on the operating table with your chest cut open. I realized, like, that's probably not a good way to leave everybody on a Sunday morning. Like, hey, you're all selfish. See you later. Jesus wins. <laughs> like, there is good news to all of this. The kingdom of God always defeats the kingdom of self. So let me tell you about the way of the king of the kingdom of God. The way of the king. The contrast between King Herod and King Jesus are stark. King Herod lived for the approval of man. Jesus lived from the approval of the father. King Herod sought his own interest. King Jesus sought the interests of others. King Herod was motivated by comfort. King Jesus is motivated by compassion. King Herod defeated his enemies through force. Jesus defeated his enemies through the cross. This is our king. The kingdom, the king that we're we're waiting, we're ready for him to return. He's not this like, he's this humble king. He's a servant king. The way of the true king, the victorious king, is not one of selfish power, but of self-emptying love. It doesn't get more clear than in Philippians chapter 2 where we read this. 
have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who through, though was in the form of God, did not e- count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. The way that Jesus defeats these kings and kingdoms isn't with this malice in his heart. No, it's always a motivation of love to eradicate this world from this problem of sin. Sin that lives within every one of our hearts. Jesus, he he who knew no sin, left heaven. The king, oh hail King Jesus. He left the glory of heaven and became a man. He loved other people and he went to the cross for your sin and my sin. He took it upon himself. It was Herod Agrippa I, his uncle, who actually sentenced Jesus to death. He submitted himself underneath King Herod so that through death he could resurrect and show the true power of God to all the little Herods in our hearts. That the true way to power, the true way to all of this that we actually kind of long through in life, it's not through self-promotion, it's through crucifixion. It's through death to self. Because when we die to self, we live in Christ. So as we're on the operating table, and I hope by now you found the Herod in your heart, and Jesus will defeat him. He'll take out the cancer within us of that Herod. He will do that, but he'll also bind us up. How does he do that? He'll bind us up. Well, how does he bind up the desire for approval? The gospel does just that. Friend, you need to understand what Jesus has done for you. You see, the approval of man is we're trying to live for the approval of other people to fill this emptiness in our soul. The reason why there's that emptiness in you and in me is because we were designed for God. We weren't designed to be empty, but sin, selfishness, is what causes emptiness. Just think about your life. Every selfish decision you make, does it draw you closer to your spouse or your kids or your family? No, it pulls you away from them. Every selfish desire that we've done, it's called, the Bible refers to it as sin. It pulls us away from God. So what does God do? God leaves heaven, comes to earth to reconcile, to draw us close to him, to take care of this problem called sin. Get this. Jesus became disapproved by the Father so that we could be approved by the Father. We're living for the approval of others, but the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus literally became disapproved by the Father. Remember on the cross, as he who knew no sin became sin, your sin, my sin? He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Father turned his face away. He became disapproved. He took the penalty. He took the sin. He took the selfishness so that you could be approved by God. This is the beauty of Of the gospel. Listen, if you didn't know this whole thing about Jesus, church, God, the Bible. If you didn't know, you you do not have to earn God's approval. That's what we call religion. That's what we call man's works of salvation. So many people think that. Through obedience, through self-denial, through self-sacrifice, through all of these things. If we do all of that, then we'll be approved by God. But friend, that's what every single religion says. The gospel, what Jesus says, is much different. He's like, listen, there's a problem. You've separated yourself from me. You've been disapproved, so I am going to come down. And I'm going to draw you back to the Father by being the sacrifice for your sins. I'm going to pay your debt. 
so that the father can smile on you once again. And the moment that Jesus comes and dwells in our hearts, not through works, but through faith, as we simply believe in him, the Bible has this glorious truth that we are justified, declared righteous, just as if I've never sinned. All of our disapproval, our errors, our wrongdoing, our shame is erased. And when the father sees us, he sees Jesus. So now we're not working or living for the approval of God. Now we are living from the approval of God. Just as the father said to the son, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That's what the father said to Jesus as he's being baptized. Those words echo over you because you're in Christ. You're his beloved. He's well pleased with you. So then a question as we bind up in the OR room this morning. If we are approved by God, why in the world are we still seeking validation from other people? See, listen, God couldn't accept us how we were with all of our sin and error. Don't get me wrong. God does not accept your sin. So he had to die for your sin. So that you could be cleansed from your sin. So that you could be approved by God forever. You don't lose it. That's the beauty of the cross. That's the beauty of Jesus. Now you will know when this message of grace has penetrated your hearts. When you find yourself where your primary desire is to live in obedience to God. You know that 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 was really sunk into you. Where you're not living like for God's approval, but from the place of approval. And you're so amazed in what Jesus has done for you that you will want to live for him. That then you will live out what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16 when he told his disciples. If anyone would come after him, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. A part of the binding up process to make sure the, the, the sin, the little Herod, the selfishness doesn't come back in. We have to crucify our flesh. We have to crucify that desire for approval and realize and remember that we've already been approved by God. And we must crucify the desire for power. Why? Remember, we said that as we peel back that symptom, the desire for power, that at the core of it was a sense of what? Wanting to feel security? Well, realize this, friends. The beauty of the gospel is that of a God who no kingdom will stand against him. He's going to win. He's going to conquer. He's going to prevail. But this God, Jesus, the creator of all things, the one who holds all things together by his power, he knows you personally. He knows you personally. The one who has all power knows your name. Jesus died on the cross out of love for you. Psalm 139 says this, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. That desire for power is really just a desire for security. And man, when you realize that the most powerful being, God, Jesus, the creator of all things, knows you by name, that you are in his arms of love, you don't need any power. 
Because you're secure. You're safe in him. He knows you. His thoughts toward you are precious. He knows every hair on your head. He loves you. Therefore, all of those desires for power and security. You're fearing you lost your job. You're fearing about these different things. Listen, they're real fears. I understand. But you can rest in the reality that the Father, the Creator knows you and He's going to care for you. That You're secure in Him no matter what life throws at you. You build your life on the rock. The wind and the waves will crash against it, but you're secure because you're in Him. This is what the gospel tells us. When this reality hits your heart, there's no need for power because you're already secure. You're secure in the loving hands of your Redeemer. Now, because of Jesus, the true king, then there's no need for self-exaltation. There's no need to try and lift ourselves up in a desperate act to hide the emptiness of ourselves. Why? Why is there no need to lift ourselves up? Because we're already full of God. Remember what the apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3, he prayed that Christ may dwell through your heart through faith, that you would know and comprehend the height, weight, length, depth of Jesus' love for you, that you would be filled with the fullness of God. There's no need to exalt yourself when you're filled with the fullness of God, when you're filled with the glory of God. There's no need. There's no need for anything else because you have everything you could ever need and want in him. It's then that we can join with all the angels singing. All hail King Jesus. Revelation chapter 4 verse 11 says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. We can join in singing that and giving God glory because we don't need glory for ourselves. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for this beauty. The beauty of the gospel. That we don't need to live for self because you've died for us. We want to live for you, Lord. As we let your word just sit and ruminate in our hearts. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would convict us. That you would show us of the herod within our hearts. Those selfish tendencies. I pray that you would do heart surgery, that you would pluck them out, Lord. And I pray, Jesus, that you would then begin to bind us up, that we would ruminate, that we would be amazed, that we would be in awe of the gospel, of your glory, of what you've done for us, of your love. That we would be people that don't need to exalt ourselves, but that we would be people who live for you and for your glory and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite you all to stand. We've got one song to close. And I have two uh, kind of call to action for, for us this morning. Number one, it's, it's really simple. It's repent. It's repent. Repent of the Herod in our hearts. Repent of the self-promotion, the self-preservation, and the self, 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 self sins. That tozer we put on the screen. Repent of just that defensiveness that we have in our relationships with other people. 
repent of that desire for man's approval and, and the desire for, for power. Let's repent of those things. Like be honest and, and change and say, Jesus, here I confess. The word confess means to agree with. I confess that these are wrong. And First John says that if we confess our sins, then he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So the first thing is just like, let's, let's be honest, like confess. Maybe you need to come up and receive prayer and confess. Like, I've been struggling with this selfishness in my heart. Can you pray for me? Maybe you need to come and literally bow here on the carpet and be like, gosh, man, Lord, I've been living for myself and not for you. You've been more like living in the mother-in-law suite. I've been paying my respects to you, but I haven't allowed you to invade my turf. Maybe you're that person. You need to bow yourself before him and Jesus say, Jesus, I want, I want you to have all of me. Maybe that's you. Maybe you need to magnify his name and just praise him and give him glory. That's, that's the first thing. It's, it's really just all repent. It's repent and believe on him and look to him and just be amazed by him. Maybe you need prayer. Maybe you need to bow. The second thing is this. It's really simple. If throughout this message, God has revealed to your heart that he is not the king of your life. He's knocking. The warning is, I mean, it's, it's just, it is what it is. We're not going to like skirt from it. The warning is, if you don't want him the king of your heart, you will experience defeat. The Bible says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. This is the thing. You can bow now and experience eternity with Jesus, or you can bow later and experience eternity without Jesus. That decision is yours. And Jesus said this, he says, if you're not for me, then you're against me. Because again, he's a king. How foolish it would be if Jesus, we let him into our hearts, we pray that prayer, but we don't actually allow him to be king. It doesn't work by that, that way. If we invite Jesus in, we invite him as king. So if Jesus is not on the king of your heart, then you need to welcome him. You need to dethrone yourself and enthrone King Jesus. And let me tell you, you will experience life and life more abundantly. Because that's the way Jesus rules. The other option, stay the ruler of your own life or let some other cultural item rule your life and experience disappointment and defeat and just, oh, man. It's not going to be fun. So right now, I just I do want to give that opportunity. If you would, if you do not have Jesus at the king of your life, the king of your heart, and you would like to say, yes, Jesus, I want you the king of my heart. Would you raise up your hand and say, that's me. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Yes. For those of you that have raised your hand, I want you just to say this prayer to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I believe that you are God. I believe that you are alive. That you died for me. And I dethrone myself. My ambitions. My desires. And I ask that you would be the king of of my heart.
In Jesus' name, amen.